Tonight we are going to discuss a moment in biblical history that was almost 500 years in the making when God led Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land. We've been talking about this for a long time. The book of Deuteronomy was drawing out the moment of entry for 34 chapters. And if you're like me, you were thinking, all right already, Moses, let them go. Let them cross the river. Well, tonight they're going to do it. It's been almost 500 years since God first told Abraham, I'm going to give to your descendants this land forever. And as we remember together that Canaan, that promised land, represents typologically and spiritually among other things, our abundant lives in Christ, remembering that there's a lot for us to learn from this big significant moment of making the transition, making the change. Tonight is all about learning how to take steps of faith, to do things when you're not sure if they're going to work out, when you are going to step out to try things, and the only hope of success is if God steps in and finishes it for you. That's a step of faith. It's not thinking we've got a 99% chance, but there's that old 1% that it might go terribly. No, this is when it's like, this is either God or nothing. That's a step of faith. I hope that we'll learn tonight to stop being passive in our walks with Christ. That's something I've had to learn is sometimes out of an overdeveloped sense of respect for God's sovereignty, you think that true religion is just sitting back and waiting for Christianity to happen to you. Like God's just going to grab you by the scruff of your neck and say, get after it. Now listen, the Lord is more than willing to smack you upside the head when you need it. But you've got a big book of instruction where the Lord says, get up and go. And we're going to learn that tonight. To step out into the will of the Lord with courage and with hope. For as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Whatever God has told you to do, or whatever he's going to tell you tomorrow, or maybe even reveal to you tonight about what's coming next, I pray that the Lord will build your faith to take the step in that direction as we go through this chapter. There's three main sections here. It all is building this big dramatic moment at the end of the chapter. So we'll start with the first six verses. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before." Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. I'll tell you, as a preacher, this is one of those passages that we could camp out for six, seven, eight weeks if we wanted to. There's so much to draw out from this. We're going to have a kind of a narrow focus, but it will benefit you to meditate upon it and see what else the Lord will reveal to you. Like I said, it's been almost 500 years. There's that initial sojourn when Abraham first came to that promised land. But as the word says, he was a stranger there. He dwelt in tents. He was welcome, but he didn't own any land. He did not possess the land. Same thing with Isaac 
And Jacob, until finally, Jacob, because of the famine, was compelled with all of his family to go down to Egypt to be provided for by his son Joseph, who was the right-hand man of Pharaoh at the time. Which led, of course, to centuries of slavery in Egypt. As the people groaned under their afflictions, as God had prophesied, the Lord raised up Moses to lead them out of that land, out of Egypt, into the promised land. Well, when they first got to the promised land, they were so afraid of the nations within, they decided not to go. And so the Lord condemned them to wander for 40 more years in the wilderness. And last week, we saw them come right up to the, to the Jordan, send spies in who came back with a positive report this time. It's a positive flip of what happened the first time they were there. And now there's nothing left but to enter the promised land. Joshua rises early in the morning. I think so. He's 80 plus at this point. He's like, I'm, I want to get into this promised land. And I'm not about to sleep in on the big day. I'm rising early in the morning. And they're going to leave Shittim, which is what Joshua, uh, the name that Joshua gives. It means acacias, like an acacia tree. And we're going to leave it. It's called the Plains of Moab, usually in the book of Deuteronomy. And they're going right up to the Jordan. Now, you've got to keep this in mind as we go through this book. They're marching in military procession. If you remember back in the book of Numbers, whenever they would move, that was how the Lord organized them, was according to ranks, according to armies. Now, the families are going to come with them, except for the families of Gad, half of Manasseh, and Reuben, who will stay on the other side. But after this, it's going to be soldiers, right? So there's, there's that sound of marching feet as they follow the Ark of the Covenant. And they're told to follow the Ark at a difference of 2,000 cubits, a distance, excuse me, of 2,000 cubits. A cubit is a distance from your elbow to your fingertip, approximately 18 inches. Say, that's a weird thing to measure. Well, we measure thing in feet, so we can just kind of let it go, right? About 18 inches. So 2,000 cubits would be about 3,000 feet, which is about half a mile. This is a long distance. You got to keep this in mind. They can see it, but really only barely here. And this would have been carried, as we remember from Numbers 4, by the sons of Kohath, which were the clan of the Levites that were permitted to carry the ark. How they would carry this thing, in all the movies and all the illustrations, you can see the gold with the angels like shining in the sun. That's not how they carried it, remember. They would take the veil of the tabernacle, they would walk it forward and cover the ark with it. Then they would take a uh, skin of goat skin. It also could have been dolphin or what's called a dugong skin. It's waterproof is the idea. And then cover that with a blue cloth. No one is supposed to look at the Ark of the Covenant. That's why the poles that they carried it on were to stick out of the veil of the tabernacle so that they didn't ever have to look at it. So there it is under that blue cloth, but they all know what's underneath it. It represented the presence of God, it represented the covenant of God. There's even, in some of the ways it's described in this chapter, where it's put in what the grammatical term is, apposition to the Lord. It says, follow the ark, the Lord your God. It's not saying that the ark is God, but it's saying this object is so closely identified with the presence of God that the writers of the Bible can speak about it that way. Which is why later when they mishandle it, folks are going to get struck dead. We'll see that later on in the Bible. And as at Mount Sinai, when they first encountered the Lord as a nation, the people were to consecrate themselves. What they did in the book of Exodus is they were to wash themselves, put on fresh clothes. They were to abstain from sexual activity for three days. Because as Joshua tells them, wonders are coming. I love that. Signs and wonders. I'm not quite sure what a wonder is. 
you know, what you really define under wonder as opposed to just miracle or sign. But we're going to see one of them tonight. They're going into that promised land. They're going to pass through the waters and they're going to finally get into the land of Canaan, which after they take possession of it will not be called Canaan anymore. It'll be called Israel, as we call it today. Now we're going to apply this to our own lives because there is such an amazing lesson for us here. And there's going to be three points that we're going to look at. Each one is going to have three sub points. Don't worry, it won't take that long. Like, that, you're like, that's nine points, Tyler. Yeah, very Trinitarian of me. Three threes is what I'm trying to do. <laughs> no. Uh, you've got the beginning, we have the preparation when they're getting ready to go in. Then we have the actual step out where they go into the water. And then they have, once they're in the water, what happens after that? So we're going to start by looking at the first thing we see here is that they have a goal. Joshua knew where they were going and what they wanted. If you had asked him, Joshua, why are you crossing this river? He'd say, because we're going into that promised land, we're going to conquer the people and we're going to live there forever and ever because God promised. He knew exactly where they were going and what they wanted. We too have spiritual destinations in our mind, don't you? Places that you want to get. If the promised land represents the John 10, 10 abundant life that Jesus talked about, then you could probably make a list of places you'd like to get in your life spiritually and not just spiritually too because the spiritual is to affect every aspect of your life this can range from the ultimate goal of salvation that was paul's goal paul in philippians says i've given up everything that by any means possible i can achieve the resurrection from the dead i'm the kind of guy that loves to make lists and goals and monthly plans and all that and one of the hard things i always had was like how do you really set a goal spiritually, right? Because that's like, it's, it's different. It's not like everything else. And then I read that passage in Philippians again. I was like, I've got it. So now at the, at the top of my you know, goals list, I always put rise from the dead. That's the thing I'm shooting for more than anything else. Like Paul is to rise from the dead. We call that salvation. But you've also got these common goals that we all share, goals of righteousness. And you might not like me using this term goal here, but I'm going to keep using it because I think we know how to handle a term like that. And I think it brings a lot of this energy and drive that we have in life and allows us to apply it to the faith. So we have the ultimate goal. The common goal of righteousness are things like self-control, right? I don't want to be mastered by my temper or by my lusts anymore. We have things like brotherly kindness. I want to be nicer to people. I want to love people as they ought to be loved, as Jesus told us. You know, things like having a righteous marriage. That's something we all want. To raise godly children. To honor the Lord in our business. These are things that apply to everybody. But there's also specific goals that God will give you. Things that, for somebody else, it might be just as important, but it's not something that really occupies their mind. Have you ever found somebody that didn't struggle with something you struggle with? Don't you just want to slap those people sometimes? Like, it's just so easy. Just, I don't see how anybody could struggle with that. You're like, thanks, pal. I feel really great now. <laughs> we all have our own different things we deal with, right? So for somebody, it's, oh, that's, I don't need to focus on that. That just kind of happens for me. Where for you, that might be something you've got to direct an awful lot of attention towards. I already mentioned, you can have specific things like, I want to have a godly marriage. My parents' marriage were, was wacky. My parents were divorced three or four times. I don't want that. I want to do it God's way. Maybe you have a temper. I've got to keep that thing under control. Maybe it takes a long time for your fuse to burn off. 
But once it does, you have absolutely no control over it. I've got four children. One of them, Colton, is the kindest, sweetest boy you'll ever meet in your life. He never gets angry. But when he does, it is worse than when any of the rest of them get angry. Why is that? Because Micah and Sammy, they get angry all the time. So they're always learning how to control their anger. Colton just never gets there. So when he gets there, it feels like, why are we still teaching him that he has to eat his food? He's so much older than Micah was. Like, well, because he picks his battles, you know, less often. And so it takes him longer to learn it. So it might not be something you're always dealing with, but when it comes up, boy, I got I to gotta get a hold of that. It might be something related to ministry. Like God's called you to be a missionary around the world. No, the pandemic sort of put a, a, a push the brakes on that. I hope we can kind of shake that off and move forward. The world needs to know about Jesus. We've got to be planting churches. We've got to be sending out ministers and missionaries and songwriters and evangelists and all of the rest. And you might know what your next step is. You might know exactly what's across that Jordan River for you. Say, yeah, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what my goal, so to speak, is. And you might not. You might be sitting here wishing you knew. I wish I knew what the next thing was. Well, I hope God will let you know. It's time to find out. You find out through the word. You find out in prayer through sound counsel. But I also love it when God just reveals things to us. I think everybody, regardless of whether you have the gift of prophecy or what, everybody has moments in their life where God very specifically tells them something. And if that hasn't happened to you, that's part of the excitement of following a God who speaks because he's going to speak to you. Okay, so they know where they're going, but here's the next thing. There are obstacles. Joshua faced a particular obstacle, notably the Jordan River. Chapter 3, verse 15 tells us that it was at flood tide right now. This is the worst time to try to cross a river. And we who maybe don't spend as much time in canoes as we used to, think, what's the big deal? Just cross the river. It's just water. You can drink it. What's the big deal? But it's a different matter when you're trying to get an army over the river. And not just an army, a whole nation. We're gonna, imagine we're going to take everybody in America and we're all going to cross the same river. Okay, somebody's going to get hurt. That's just statistics, man. What are we going to do? Obstacles. And hey, you're going to face obstacles in your abundant life too. We talked about him on Sunday. The devil hates you. Any amens on that? Amen. You ever just feel, not even from within yourself, you just feel hated in your spirit? Like, where does that come from? It doesn't come from God, I'll tell you that. God sent his only son to die on the cross for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. But the devil despises you. Jesus in John 10, 10 said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. But before that, what does he say? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your hope and destroy your faith. He wants to wreck your life because he's evil. That's what he does. The devil is against you. That's an obstacle. You've also got the world itself. You leave the devil out of it, and you're still going to meet hostile people. You say, I've met a few thieves in my time who like to steal, kill, and destroy. Maybe you had a boyfriend that was like that. Maybe you have a mother who's like that. Maybe you have a boss or a neighbor that just, it seems like the only thing they really spend their time on is trying to wreck your life, especially when you bring up spiritual things. I know some folks, my grandfather was one of them. If he ever brought up God around his father, he would sit there and shame him and emasculate him. I thought I raised a man bringing that sissy stuff into my house. Changing circumstances. Sometimes life just happens. I'm going to plant a church and I leave in March of 2020. 
Oops. <laughs> I know some folks that started ministries like a month or two before the pandemic really hit. Some of them are still there. A lot of them are not. A lot of them just came home. And you also have your own flesh warring against your soul. I talked about hostile people and a hostile devil, but don't you know that it's kind of hard even to master yourself? <laughs> You're like, I, I'm never going to do that again. What is wrong with me? I don't even like that sin anymore. You ever do that? I keep doing it. I don't even like it. I feel terrible. Why do I keep doing this? These obstacles need to be identified, and you need to say them out loud, because if you don't identify them, you'll ignore them. You can stand on the Jordan River preaching all day about milk and honey flowing out of the, the promised land, but if you kind of ignore the fact that there's a giant river behind you, eventually somebody's going to raise their hand and say, what's your plan there, Josh? How are we going to get over that? Oh, don't think about that. Don't be all negative on me now. Just, just speak truth and joy in your life. It's, okay, well, there's also bad things too. I found that the darker you feel about something, the more afraid you are of something, the less you want to talk about it. Let's just, just not worry about that. And there can be some use to that, that if something is so intimidating, it's like, you know what, let's not even deal with that. Let's just try to move forward as much as we can. But eventually, you're going to run up against it. If you say the Lord has called me to go to Uganda and plant a church, everybody's happy for you. You've told everybody your boss is on board, your wife is with you, your kids are excited, but you still haven't made the call and told mom. Because you know what she's going to say. And he said, I don't want to talk to her because she knows how to talk me out of stuff. You got to stand up and say, that's going to be an obstacle. My flesh is an obstacle. I seem to be the kind of person that is not very good at telling the truth. So I need to be honest with myself that I'm a liar. That's hard to say. I'm a thief. I'm a glutton. I'm a sluggard. There's a good Bible word for you. How am I supposed to overcome these obstacles if I am the problem? you got to say it out loud because they'll master you as long as they're in the dark. Satan thrives on lies like God thrives on truth. If our power comes from faith, then your inability to talk about something and look at it with the eyes of faith is going to give it power over you. But there's number three. What's the third thing we see here? There's history. That's where we're going. Here's the problem. So how are we going to get over that? We're building to faith. The answer is we look at what God's already done. There was some history here with the children of Israel and crossing imposing bodies of water. Moses had led the people through the Red Sea before to escape from Pharaoh. This is a river. That was a sea. This had been done before. When you look at the abundant life in Christ, that goal that is waiting for you in all of its varying aspects, and everybody's life is unique. Everybody's is different. That's true. However, you need to realize that everything you face in some way or another has been overcome before by another Christian. To use the writer to the Hebrews phrase, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. This is when it's nice to not be so special. Say, I'm not special. I think I can do this. We kind of think that's backwards, right? It's like, wait a minute. I thought I was special, so I can do this. No, if you think you're special, then you're going to think that your circumstances are unique and so uniquely tailored to you that nobody can help me. You ever try to counsel a teenager before? They've never experienced some of the stuff they're going through. And part of the job, I was a youth pastor for a long time, I know what I'm talking about here. Part of the difficulty is explaining to them what you're going through is not that strange. Everybody deals with this. Everybody goes, no, you just, you just don't understand. It's like, okay, 
This is your first time, but it's not my first time. And it's not our first time. The Bible says no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common. Does that make you feel bad about yourself? I hope not. Some of us define ourselves by our problems, and we shouldn't do that. We define ourselves by our relationship to Jesus. And God is faithful, and with the temptation, will provide with you a way of escape. God's done this before. What are we going to do? There's a giant body of water. Ah, God's done this before. God's already done this one. Come see me when there's a river of fire we've got to cross. Oh, wait a minute. He's done that one too. You've got to know that whatever you're facing, it's been overcome in Christ before. The devil can be overcome. In fact, James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Flee from you. Flee from you. This is why I don't watch demonic movies around Halloween time. It's not even that I'm like, oh, you shouldn't do that. It's bad. It's, it's, it's like this. Look. I know that the devil is a defeated foe and that Jesus has given me authority and power in Christ to stand against him. If I go watch a bunch of movies teaching me that I should be very afraid, what am I going to do when I face him for real? That's just my opinion. That's just my conviction. I'm not trying to press it on you. But you do need to learn the lesson that resist the devil and he will run screaming with his tail between his legs from you. People do it every day. Marriages succeed every day. A lot of times you say, uh, we, we could never get through this. It's like, well, I know lots of people that have gotten through this, right? People escape their bad habits and even lift themselves out of poverty and out of suffering by the godly wisdom that the Lord has given us. People plant churches all the time. People go out as missionaries and establish vibrant, thriving works of God all over the world every day. That should encourage you that this is possible. Search the scriptures, read good Christian history, biographies of the saints that have gone before you. Talk to other people in the church to learn what God can do. Learn what God has done. Don't just spend time with people of your own age group, for example. If you're young, talk to somebody who is old and find out what God did in their life to build up your faith. And if you're old, go find someone who is young and pass it on. Say, hey, don't be worried by this. You can do it because Jesus is with you. Don't let Satan isolate you. So here's what we have in this first section. There's a goal crossing that river. The obstacle is the river itself. But there's history involved because God is already part of the Red Sea. So Joshua is going to make, here's our first big point tonight, a statement of faith. We're crossing that river tomorrow. Follow the Ark of the Covenant. Saddle up, we're going. Consecrate yourselves. Wonders are about to happen. That's a statement of faith. I'm not talking about a creed that the church posts on the website. I'm talking like God is going to do this. Faith is when the natural evidence is against you, but you still believe because of God. I'm evaluating the situation and there's just no way. But let's add the final piece to the puzzle. God. Okay, well... The Lord says, is there anything too hard for me? Sometimes we pray that way, don't we? Oh, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. He goes, you don't have to know. How about, oh, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do with this one. Will you, will you, tell, will you tell me ahead of time? Because I want to know. Or maybe don't spoil it for me. Maybe just do it in the moment and we'll see. What a difference that is. Making a statement of faith. When you know where God is sending you or what God is trying to do in you, when you're talking about it with somebody, speak up and say, yes, he will. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did this. He said, if you either bow down and worship the golden image, or I'm throwing you in the fiery furnace. They said, if this be so, 
Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That's a statement of faith. God can do it. We're going to trust him, and I don't care what happens to me. Do not train yourself to doubt by your language or your thought patterns. You know that you can lay tracks in your mind that it gets easier and easier to stress about things. Haven't you found that? Like once your mind kind of clicks onto that track, zoom, off we go. The Bible tells us to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, to let the truth of God override those things. And maybe you really truly believe, but if you're constantly talking about all the things that could go wrong, you're going to teach yourself to be afraid. And I'll say this, guys, if you cannot speak out in faith, you will never step out in faith. Once again, I come back to those that are really worried that they're going to be lumped up in a, in a crowd of people that are excessive, you know, and the things that they say they can claim from God. But it scares people out of making bold statements of faith. Like George Mueller. Like, sit down, kids. Breakfast is coming. Mr. Mueller, we don't have any breakfast. Ah, God's got it. Well, that just seems unrealistic. Oh, look. Somebody brought breakfast again. Speak out in faith. Make a statement of faith. Just say, this is what God's going to do. If you've got a calling on your life, don't be afraid to talk about it. I can't tell you how many guys are called to be pastors, and they feel like that they shouldn't tell anybody. I don't want to say that because then they're going to think that I'm uppity or they think that I'm, I'll think that I'm better than everybody else. No, the Bible says he who desires the office of an elder desires a good thing. Speak out. Make a statement of faith. This marriage is going to last forever. I just don't know. No, I know. How can you know? Because I know God. I know this is something he wants. I had to do that a few times when I come down here to plant the church. I was asked on at least two occasions to my face, why would you come here? Every now and then I still get somebody who goes, wow, you're a pastor? I can look you up and down like this. How old are you? My favorite response to that is, how old do you think I am? I know when I finally stop being asked that question, I'm no longer a young pastor. People say, oh yeah, you, I could see that. You're a pastor. Make a statement of faith. All right, let's get on to verse 7. I'm having too much fun. We're going to run out of time. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will, he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. God speaks to Joshua. And he passes on to the people. Tell the priests you're going to step into the waters of the Jordan, walk out to the middle, and stand there. Got that? Okay, I'm going to go talk to these guys over here. And they've got to be, okay. Because God tells Joshua, I'm going to exalt you. People are going to know that I'm with you. 
And he tells people, this is going to be a sign of your victory, a sign that the living God is with you. Why do they call God the living God? As opposed to a golden statue or a wooden image or some foolishness like that. The universe, right? The universe is with us. What? That doesn't make any sense at all. But if the living God is with us, well, that's pretty exciting. I remember when I was a kid, we were watching uh, a dramatization of the story of Jacob. And there was the part where uh, Rachel steals her father's household gods and hides them. And uh, Laban is like freaking out in the movie. And my Uncle John says to us, isn't it a bummer when your gods can be stolen? <laughs> and I laughed. And you should laugh because that's how the Bible paints it. It's like, it's, it, you made it. Why are you bowing down to it, right? The living God. He says they're going to step in the water and the waters will part and stand up in a heap which is language that is taken directly from the story of the Exodus. So talk is over. It's time to get moving. They have no bridges. They've not dug any tunnels. There's no drought that's going to make it nice and dry for them. They don't have any boats. It's just faith. So Joshua's already made his statement of faith, but now it's like, all right, we're moving. Go get in the water. In the water, yes. How far? Into the middle and then stop carrying that big, heavy, golden box. So now it's about taking action. Okay, we've already looked at the first thing, right? We know that we know where we want to go. We know that there's obstacles, but we know that God is with us. So we made a statement of faith. All right, well, what do we do now? The first thing is you need to hear the word of the Lord. Joshua, the waters at flood tide. Yeah, but God has spoken. And that's all that really matters. God told Joshua, send the priests out into the water first. And that is over every other fact that Joshua could possibly face. Most of the time, it seems God wants us to use sound wisdom according to his word, according to what we know from the Bible, to make good decisions. But very often, God will step in and tell you exactly what to do. And when the Lord does that, that's what we do. I do not believe that you can just walk around claiming whatever you want in the name of Jesus. You need to hear the voice of God. Because there are some crazy people on TV and online that will, will tell you, you can get whatever you want. Just look at my second Learjet that I just bought. Somebody starts telling you that, <laughs> that if you listen to my ministry, you can have whatever you want. You better watch out for your wallet, man, because they're coming for you. And so some people say, ah, don't, you know, <laughs> don't just claim whatever you want. You have to hear from God first. But sometimes you can say that, you know, just listen to what God says. And they make it sound like that's the much safer and saner option. In one sense, that's true. But if you look at the Bible and the things that God asked people to do, and you realize that the threshold for strange is really high. <laughs> this is one of them. Go walk out in the middle of the river and stand there. Okay. You really want me to do that? Yes. What did God tell Ezekiel to do? All kinds of crazy things. Every morning, I want you to dig a hole in your wall and crawl out. And then at night, I want you to sneak back inside to your own house. Now I want you to cook lunch. And I want you to cook it over human feces. Ezekiel said, God, please don't make me do that. And God goes, you're right, Ezekiel. I, I won't ask you to do that. You can use cow poop. That's okay. <laughs> oh, don't get, all, don't get all righteous on me. That's in your Bible. God asked him to do that. Then I want you to chop off your beard and cut it into pieces with a sword and throw them into the wind. Jeremiah, wear underwear for a long time. And when it starts to stink, go stick it under a rock near the river. 
and leave it for a few months. Okay, Jeremiah, remember that underwear I told you to hide? Go back, put it on, and walk around the city. And people are going to say, Jeremiah, what is that thing smells? And then I want you to say, this is how bad your sin smells to God. Now, you might say, God is not telling you to do that, Jeremiah. How about Hosea? Go marry a prostitute. Really? You're going to give me a wife and, and I'm going to be able to lead her out of that life? Well, first she's going to cheat on you and have a bunch of illegitimate children and then abandon you. God would never tell someone to do it. Well, don't say would never because he did. God tells us to do things that only make sense if he's really there. Isn't that true? Only makes sense if he's really there. I know you only have one measure of oil left. Give it to me first. Give me everything I've got. Yep, and then you'll have enough. That doesn't make any sense. How can you get a lot out of nothing? Hey, watch me. It's what I do. Once you come to the moment where it's time to do what God has said, don't start adjusting his commandments because the, the situation looks uncertain. God said, go stand in the river in the middle. Oh, the water looks kind of high. I'm sure he meant it symbolically. So just go stand in the shallows. Lord, we're waiting on you. He's like, you ain't do what I ask. Joshua's going to do this later, and there's going to be the only battle they lose during the conquest is when he says, I think we can do it on our own. We don't need God's help. Spend your time learning the voice of the Lord, practicing obedience in the small things so that when the big things show up, you're ready. But we've got to acknowledge another thing here. Danger! The danger in this situation is real. The Jordan River at this point would have been 10 to 12 feet deep and hundreds of feet across, depending on at what point they were crossing. God had sent them to cross this river in the most dangerous possible season. And in fact, one of the only truly dangerous seasons to try to cross this river. Jordan River is known for being not too difficult to get across. It's not like the Mississippi. It's not like the Amazon. You can cross it. But the Lord goes, I picked the one time of year where you shouldn't try it. Danger. There is real danger in heeding the voice of the Lord. Did you know that? When you come to the Jordan in your life, when it comes time to do what God has called you to do, maybe to start submitting to your husband or to start training your children to follow Jesus or to go out and plant that church or whatever it may be, the Jordan will be at flood tide. You can count on that. It will be difficult. Arguments that'll start up. This is the week. I'm going to finally start loving my wife like Christ loves the church. Thank you, Jesus. I'm ready to go. You open the door. Well, there you are. Where have you been? Well, I've been praying. Well, that, that's a great excuse. Now everything else is falling apart. Listen, woman, I'm trying to love you in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm going to go plant a church and be a missionary. Global pandemic. All right, I'm ready to start serving Jesus. Oh, no, but this election, I, that's really taking up a lot of my attention right now. It's really not a good time for us to be focused on evangelism. There will be distracting opportunities. You want to know what the devil's favorite tricks is? It's what he did with Jesus. All these I will give you if you'll bow down and worship me. Right when you are ready to do things God, God's way and the devil knows that you're going to do it, he'll show up and offer you the thing you wanted all along. The thing that you left behind and couldn't quite get and you realize wasn't good for you, he'll show up and say, hey, I'll just give it to you. I've known people that have been called to the ministry and they're getting ready to go and then right before it's time to quit the job or move or whatever it may be, all of a sudden their career takes off. 
all of a sudden, man, everything's really looking good for me. I don't know if this is really the best time to do that. I'm finally getting what I always wanted and I've got to give it up now? Yes. The devil knows how to concede in order to win. Or physical shortcomings. I can't tell you how many people have wanted to do something for Jesus and then get sick. If you're going to go on a missions trip, you're going to get sick. It's going to happen. And your family is going to get sick. It's going to happen because the devil doesn't fight fair. You've got to know that the danger is real. So dangerous that the word of the Lord will seem to be a bad idea. Which is why you need to decide ahead of time that you're going to obey Jesus. Because if you try to decide in the moment, you'll never do it. You'll never do it. Well, I know the Lord sent me to this country to go plant a church, but man, they just made a law that said it's illegal to preach the gospel there. So, it's probably why he sent you. You ever consider that? Well, I, I promise that I'm going to finally share the gospel with the people in my family, but, oh, you know, there's just a, some famous preacher in the news made a fool of himself, and now they hate the church. They don't want to talk about Jesus. I better hold back. That's how the game goes, man. The devil uses those things to keep you from crossing the river. So settle it first. And number three, this is what Joshua is doing. You've got to act in anticipation of God's hand. The priests were not to wait until the water parted and then step in the water. You step in the water first, and then the way would clear. Not in reaction to the miracle, but in anticipation of the miracle. That's the hard part. We have the word of the Lord. I know what God's told me to do. Here's the danger, but I believe that God is going to clear the danger, so I'm going to wait for the danger to go away. You'll wait a long time, friend. You have to go forward anyway. You can't draw up a battle plan and then say, well, we can't move forward. They're shooting at us. That's kind of the idea. You've got to step out and give it a try. You've got to take the step of faith ahead of time. Sell that house if the Lord is calling you to move. Make that phone call if you know there's somebody you're supposed to talk to or whatever it may be before everything clears up. Don't wait for it to get right. We waste an awful lot of time praying for God to make the way clear so that we can obey him when the Lord is telling us just go now, I wonder how many people, how many of us are going to get to heaven and realize, Lord, you told me you were going to do this and then you never did. Well, I was telling you to go. Oh, but God, there was all these, these complications and dangers and obstacles. And he said, I was going to clear them all out of your way. Well, why didn't you? Because I was waiting for you to take that step. God is looking for people who are going to trust his word more than their own circumstances. You know, that's why God uses weird people, don't you? Haven't you seen in church history? There's some weird guys. Every movement of God has some weird figure in the front that you kind of wish wasn't there. Oh, not this guy. He's so strange. Because strange people already don't care what people think. So they've already got that bit out of the way. So they'll just, you're telling me that I can ask anything in Christ's name and God will do it? Well, yes. All right, let's ask for some stuff. You tell me that we can pray for the sick and they'll be healed? Well, yes, it's more complicated than that. I'll worry about that later. Let's pray for some folks. Hey, 100 people got healed. Okay, well, you're so strange though. And then they fall into sin or they do something excessive. And, but what is God using them to do is to drag the rest of us along. 
God's looking for people that will trust his word more than their own circumstances. People that will look at a generation in the States that is godless and wrapped up in all sorts of weird, sexual, crazy stuff and say, man, God could spark a revival with these people. Instead of saying, oh Lord, please bring them into our churches so that they'll sit quietly and listen to the gospel message. We've got to know the word of the Lord, knowing the danger and the need for anticipation so that here's our number two big heading is to take a step of faith. It's called a step of faith because you are not sure it'll work. My dad likes to call faith a strong maybe. Is God going to do this? Maybe. That's all you got? Maybe. That's what faith is, my friends. You wouldn't send a rocket to the moon on faith, would you? All right, I think we've got it just lined up. So if we just launch it right now, you'll probably hit it. What happens if I don't? Well, you'll launch off into space and you'll freeze to death and we'll never hear from you again. Uh, no, I'm not going. <laughs> but in matters of faith, you've got the assurance of God behind us. It's learning to believe that that's actually true and live like it's true. What does a step of faith look like? Well, Peter demonstrates for us another weird guy that Jesus loves to use. Peter answered Jesus in Matthew 14, 28, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come on. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. I don't even think that was Jesus' plan. I think Peter was just so excited. Hey, can I do that? Yeah, come on, let's go. And then Peter sank, but that's not the point I'm trying to get at right now. What I'm trying to get at is you got to step out of the boat. If you want to walk on water, it does no good to sit in the boat and prove from the scriptures that we can walk on water if we have faith. There you are. Okay, well, should we step out of the boat? Well, we, we don't want to overstep our boundaries. That's what faith is. Man is overstepping boundaries. Trying things that reasonable people will tell you, don't do it. But they don't know the true God who is able to let us walk on water. I want us to live in the realm of impossible things. I don't want to just try things for Jesus that I think this will be difficult, but we can do it. I want to do things that say, we're going to die if Jesus doesn't step in. That's where miracles happen, man. That's why desperate people see the Lord work in their lives. And those of us that are comfortable and happy need to work on getting desperate first. Because we, well, like, you know, the church of Laodicea, we're fat and we're rich and we're lazy. And we have need of nothing. What do I need God for? Once you've learned the fact that everything you have comes from God and the only thing in your life that matters is what God has to say, then you just start to step out and you see the Lord work everywhere. I don't want to live in the world of cost-benefit analysis, risk-reward, because the power available to you in Christ is omnipotent. Omnipotent power available to those that will walk out in faith. So take a step. If you know what God's calling you to do and you've made that declaration, even if you only made it to like your journal or whatever it is, take a step, try it. And then we'll see what happens in verse 14. What a great passage of scripture this is. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now, the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, which meant there might have been a little dip, by the way. You know, the bank of a river kind of goes down like this, and if it's overflowed, there's going to be a drop-off. You might have been worried about that. But the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, we'd call it the Dead Sea, were completely cut off. 
And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. How cool is that? That's a wonder. That's equaled only by Moses at the Red Sea when the waters piled up. It says they piled up in a heap. It says up at Adam in the north, which is about 18 miles north of where they were, north of Jericho, it says the water's piled up in a heap. The river is continuing to run, but it's starting to pile up. I wonder how high the heap went. It just started to get higher and higher and higher, and there's no more water flowing down towards the south, and they're just able to walk right over, and there's fish and, you know, crawdads flopping around on the ground, but the, water's, the river is dry. This is a huge swath of territory. You've got millions of people stepping into their promised land. Bridges and boats would have done the job, but only a wonder like this is going to accomplish God's will of testifying his glory to the whole world. Once again, three parts to consider here. The first of all is look at their obedience. They did it. They did what God said. Before we looked at what needs to happen and then we looked at the possibility that it could happen. Well, now it's like no more talk. Time to move. We have the goals that God has given to us that we talked about before. We know that God has spoken to us and revealed his will to us. So it's time to go. Those priests must have been afraid. I bet you Joshua was a little more afraid. I mean, he was full of faith, but there's still that, that nagging thought, right? Like, what if they drown with the Ark of the Covenant in their hands? And I'm going to be the guy that lost the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> maybe there was somebody watching like, I really hope this works. And maybe that first priest is like, why did I have to be at the front? If I was at the back, I probably would be able to back out. <laughs> Obedience. They did what they did out of faith and obedience to God. Do you recognize this? They had no assurance other than the word of Joshua that the waters were going to part. Would you walk up to a raging river and step in it, trusting that the waters are just going to dry up for you? I don't know if I would. Yeah, you, should, you normally don't do things like that. But Joshua had said the Lord is going is to part the water so that we can cross on dry ground. You will never... Enter the promised land in any other way than obedience to Christ. You will never cross the promised land into that abundant life. You'll never win that spiritual battle. You'll never accomplish that ministry God has given you. You'll never reconcile that relationship until you step out in obedience to Christ. So many people think they can do it both ways. How many times have I been talking to somebody that comes forward on a Sunday or Wednesday, weeping at the altar. They know what they've got to do. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to go there. I'm never going to speak to him again. And then you check up with him on the next Sunday. Hey, how are things going? Did you do it? Well, you know, I got home and I kind of calmed down and I realized I didn't have to do all of that. And, you know, lots of people do that. And I'm, I'm you know, I can, I can overcome that. I've become in my old age impatient with that kind of thing because I know exactly where it leads. You're going right back to the same thing. You're not changing a thing. No, no, I really want to. But you, God told you what to do and you're now changing your mind. How about this one? I was a kid. God told me what he wanted me to do with my life. I was a kid. I've grown up. Things have changed. Circumstances. Are you telling me God didn't foresee that at the time when he told you? Well, I was young. I was, I was exuberant and I would believe things. Yeah, you had the faith of a child. Why does God call young people? Because they're not established yet. They still have enough wild and craziness in their minds to believe things. So don't get older and get a house and a mortgage and kids and a job and think, well, I don't have time for that anymore. 
Obedience. Leave behind your fear and step out and see what God might do. Like Jonathan and his armor bearer. You know, God might let the two of us win this whole war by ourselves. He could, right? I mean, yeah, theologically, he could do that. Well, let's go try it. Big difference between agreeing on what God could do and stepping out to see what he will do, right? If you don't know, that story ends with the Lord sending an earthquake and making the Philistines fight each other. And just like in that story, in this one, we have a big miracle. God performed a miracle. That's obvious. I read, of course, there's some... This stuff, it's getting so boring going through this Old Testament, man. There's such a lack of faith, even among Christians in the Old Testament stories. Earthquakes happen all the time. You know, the Jordan is kind of on a fault line and it can stop the, the water from flowing. Really? That, is that somehow less of a miracle? That there happened to be an earthquake the second the priest stepped in the water? I don't care what God used. The point is they were able to get over the river on dry ground. Imagine the reaction of the crowd. Just imagine. That's 18 miles of water that have to wash away. For that first couple steps, they're probably thinking, is it getting shallower? It doesn't look like it's moving. <laughs> but then as they get to the center of that river, it's just getting easier and easier. And then not only does the water go away, the ground just dries up. Yeah! I bet you they were singing the song of Moses, right? The horse and rider thrown into the sea. They're singing the old song for the new situation. How do you think the spies that Jericho had, like watching from behind a tree, felt? To use Rahab's term, their hearts probably melted within them. Nothing could stop Israel now. Nothing could shake their faith now. We see miracles all the time, don't we? Now, maybe you've not seen a wonder like this one, although more people have than you'd think. People are very reluctant to talk about their miracles. Don't be. Don't be reluctant, because you're going to build everybody else's faith. But we have, you know, the perfectly aligned coincidences that happen. Things that just happen exactly at the right time, exactly in the right place, and exactly the right amount to help you. As a Christian, I am not permitted to believe in coincidences like that. I believe in providence, that God providentially ordains things. But also, you've just got the more usual interventions, like God healing people. God has healed so many people at this church, I'm starting to lose track. How cool is that? How many people has God healed at your church? I don't know. Need fingers and toes to count them, I can tell you that much. How cool is that? Or provision. My wife and I reached a point when we were broke and poor where God just intervened miraculously with random money. We just stopped worrying about it. I guess God's going to have to give us something. Or we also would get suspicious. Like if we got a windfall of like, oh, 500 extra dollars, we go, all right, what's going to break here? Because we knew. We have so many resources in this day and age, so many theories about things. It's so tempting to use that as your measure for what's possible than the power of Almighty God. They didn't even have a Bible, you guys. They had the Torah, the first five books, but they hadn't memorized it yet. They hadn't studied it yet. There were no prophecies. There was no gospel written out. There was no book of Revelation. They just had the word of the Lord. How are we with more available to us more thousands of years of testimony, more scripture, more everything, going to be less faithful. We shouldn't be. It can be tempting to do things our own way and never consider what God wants. If miracles are a possibility, that should have changed the way you evaluate every situation. I'd love to take us to a place as a church where we're living right on the edge of sensible and miraculous 
you know, right on the edge where we are frequently doing things that we're not really sure we can do and watching the Lord step up. And the third thing, this is the third piece of this section is there's a realization here. You know what the word to realize means, right? That something is made real. This is five centuries of hope finally coming true as the first person sets their foot on that promised land. I bet you there are people that were shouting and dancing and weeping and celebrating and people pushing, let me get across. I want to be in the promised land. Carrying the bones of Joseph home finally like they had promised they would. The children of Israel were in the promised land. God was true to his word. So next time you think God is delayed on something, don't worry about it. The Lord did what he promised, even if it took 500 years. When we speak in faith and step out in faith, you will realize what you've been hoping for. You will see your relationships turn around. You will see your hard work pay off and get a life that you can be joyful with. You're going to see your character transform. You're going to see your nation in revival. That's what God has promised his people. Yes, we're going to suffer. Yes, the end is going to come and the Lord is going to have to return with blood. But God's people are mighty conquerors. We're led from glory to glory, from faith to faith, Paul says. And I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We've got to stop acting so small. You've got Jesus on your side. Well, God can do what he wants, but my job is just to sit here and let things happen. That's not true. Ephesians 3 says it is the almighty power of God that can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. The power at work within you. God has raised up millions and millions of people called Christians to walk out the life that Jesus lived all over the world. Oh, if only Jesus would come to the United States like he came to Israel and doing all those miracles and healing lepers and casting out demons. He sent you and me. Why don't I have all those gifts? No, but what did Paul say? Together, we're the body of Christ. Together, every, not all of us have the same gifts. Some of us are prophets. Some of us are helpers and teachers and administrators and evangelists. But all of us together function like the testimony of Christ. That's why he said, it's much better if I go away. I'll send you the Holy Spirit and there'll be millions of me. Believe that God will give you what you need. Obedience, seeing miracles, realizing our goals. Receive the substance of your faith. We're talking about speaking out in faith, right? Say, no, I believe God will do this. Then taking a step of faith, actually going out. And the third thing that will happen is you'll receive the substance of what you've been hoping for. Even amidst all of our opposition that we face, God has a plan Hebrews 11 tells us faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. But faith leads to receiving the substance of what you hoped for. I believe, I used to say this, that God is going to plant this church through us in Alabama and we're going to have a church there. I'm now standing in the substance of what I hoped for for years. God does that. Some of you are sitting next to the person that is the substance of what you had faith and hope for for years. Some of you, according to the world, should have been divorced years ago, but you're here. Some of y'all, according to the stats, should be dead or whatever by now, but you're here because there is substance to those that have faith. How many times have you received what God has promised you, even after years of struggle, and then the next river comes up and we panic again? 
Oh, no, Lord, what are you going to do here? God goes, why do you still doubt me? One of these days, I'm going to give a sermon called The Exasperation of Jesus Christ. We're going to read through the Gospels, all the places where Jesus just gets frustrated with people. Oh, you faithless generation. He says to the disciples one time, do you still have no faith? After all this, he told one city, if I had done this many miracles in Sodom, it would be standing here today. Let's not have Jesus exasperated with us. Let's have him be like, my man, right there, my lady, that's who I want. That church right there, they believe me and they step out in faith. As we conclude this, this really cool chapter, in the Bible, passing through the waters is a symbol of death and rebirth. This was a very strong cultural image, as if you look, was an image in most cultures, that the waters of, of chaos and uncertainty represented by this dragon god, that, oh no, we've got to learn to slay the dragon. What this passage is teaching is, first of all, the Lord is the only one that can bring order to chaos. And number two, it's just a river. It's not a dragon. There's no false god. And the living God has power over all of it. Where do we see people passing through the water? First of all, in creation. The world was, world was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the what? The waters. And then the Lord said, let there be light. How about Jacob at the brook Jabbok when he wrestled with the angel? And then the next morning, he crossed over with a limp, the ford of Jabbok, into the promised land. How about Moses being placed in the waters of the Nile and then drawn out of the waters? Israel crossing the Red Sea. Joshua crossing the Jordan River. Elijah and Elisha crossing over the river. And then Elisha coming back, striking it with Elijah's cloak. Where is the God of Elijah? Jonah going down into the belly of the fish and coming out again. John the Baptist dunking people in the river and pulling them out again. Jesus, our symbol of salvation is what? Baptism, going down into the water and coming out, buried with him in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. Which teaches us if you will accept death and enter the water freely, then renewal waits on the other side. Romans 6.4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's talking about, remember the ultimate goal, rising from the dead, right? But we're supposed to walk in resurrection every single day. All the things we've been discussing tonight, ranging from your character to your marriage, to your job, to your ministry, and everything in between. It starts by dying in the water daily. What do you mean dying in the water? It means saying, I'm going to do it God's way and not my way. And the part of me that is resistant and, and digging in my heels to go across the Jordan River is going to die and remain at the bottom of the Jordan River. And the only thing left when I come out the other side is going to be that which is like Jesus.